So thank you so much for joining me on this next episode of the Scholar Homies podcast. The game is to be told, not sold conversations with the soul. I am here with my scholar homie for real, for real, Dr. Lazaro Camacho. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. I am so glad I finally got you on the episode. We literally, I feel like you are my real scholar homie. So when I, when I was thinking of the podcast and the name and all of that, you are definitely were on the list. Um, so I'm glad to finally get you on. And I think I want to kind of start with the first time I remember meeting you, which was at uh, your, one of your presentations at the Council for the Study of Community Colleges, other known, we know it as CSCC. And at the time we were both doctoral students. I was super nervous about meeting anybody. I was there kind of alone with another doc student. Typically when you go to conference, you're there with your advisor and they help you network and break the ice for you. Um, but in this case, I couldn't go with my faculty and I had to go alone. But I remember seeing um, and kind of knowing our mentors and femtors know each other. And so that's kind of how I wasn't directly introduced to you yet at the time, but I was like, oh, we're kind of doing like sort of the same work. Let me go and check him out and hear your presentation. So, um, and that was like near, that was in Dallas, I believe we were in Dallas. Yeah, and yeah it was in Dallas. Yep. Yeah, so that um, presentation came from, a. I guess the, the article comes later, but the article is called The Experience of Black and Latino Men and Mentorship Program um, at a two-year Hispanic Survey Institution. And it's called No Role Models. That's correct. Which, if folks don't know, it directly kind of parallels the uh, J. Cole album, um, 2014 Forest Hill Drive. So tell me about your memories of like that presentation and and then just the, the kind of kind of, how do y'all come up with that? Yeah, so, um, so that was a really interesting time in my life for me. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm happy to offer context on that. And I'm also gonna shout out a few folks that, that put me onto that opportunity because I think it, it's important to, to talk, you know, like this article mentions, you know, no role models, and it talks a lot about folks that we look up to or folks that put us on to different opportunities. There are definitely a few folks uh, who I want to talk about who put me on to certain opportunities, including this one. Um, but yeah, that was that was an interesting time in my life. I had literally just gotten into, I just started the doc program at FAU, and um, the folks that I was writing with, uh, Dr. Kayla C. Elliott, who's at the Ed Trust now, Dr. Chris Salinas, who's at FAU and, and was my advisor and, and chair, and then Omar Torrens, who is um, uh, finished, he's uh, completing his studies at FAU in the doc program. Um, I had I had just met those folks, like right before I got invited to uh, to work on this on this article. In fact, uh, Kayla and I had a class together. Actually, I wasn't even a matriculating student in the program yet. I was taking I was taking classes as a non-matriculating student, and we had this um this ed leadership course together where we were talking about leadership theory. And I guess she just decided that I was super cool and that I I I, uh, I seemed like I might be fun to work with. And she invited me into this program. Um, at the time, I had I was working in South Florida at Palm Beach State College as an academic advisor, and um, we had an initiative, uh, a men's initiative. Um, particularly highlighting Black and Latino identifying men um, and really doing some work around fellowship and mentorship. And so um, the work, there was some work happening at FAU through the Urban Male Initiative. And, and so Kayla and, and Chris Alinas, um were sort of connected in those ways. And so she thought it would be interesting for me to join this project that she had an idea for because I was doing so much work as a practitioner. Um, and, and now I was sort of in the program um, doing some work. But um, our, our time together in the, the leadership class, I think, is what was necessary for her to co-sign me. And so I'm glad she did because I got to spend the summer right before I started my formal program working on my first writing project. So No Role Models was my my very first writing project. I had never written anything before. I had never like, you know, I, you know, in terms of scholarly work, that kind of stuff. Um, and it was it was a really amazing opportunity. Um, and then so fast forward to our conference in, in Dallas, I uh, on a whim, literally on a whim, um, <clears throat> Chris Salinas was like, yo, you should submit this to CSCC. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. What is that? Mind you, I working. I had been working in community colleges for like eight years, but uh, like because I I had just never been I I wasn't um, involved in uh, sort of conference spaces that much. So I put in this this uh, conference uh, request. We got picked, and at the very last moment, I ended up flying to Dallas, 
for the first time, was it might have been the second time in my life that I had been to Dallas. Um, and like you, I, in a lot of ways, I was there alone, right? Um, uh, Dr. Salinas, you know, Dr. Salinas was there and that was cool, but like he had his people that he was chilling with and he was like talking to his homies and he was doing his thing. And I'm like, yo, I don't know anybody here. And I knew, I knew Chris's friends who were like younger scholars at that time, right? So before all these folks who ended up with tenure or, or doing the things that they're doing and becoming the big, you know, fancy scholars that they are now, they were, they were kind of like us then, right? Like emerging, doing some of those things. And so I didn't know anybody either. And I, and I remember, I remember uh, this, this individual by the name of Melissa, who was sort of in the fringes, right? And it was really cool. Um, I definitely didn't know her. And um, what I, what I remember the most was how many people came out to that presentation. Like, and it wasn't like, it was an early presentation too. It wasn't like prime, it wasn't like prime time. It wasn't like at a time where everyone wasn't hung over anymore. And when folks were like, didn't have like lunch plans, like it wasn't at a time yeah. where I thought a lot of folks would come out. Um, you know, and the funny thing about that story is I actually didn't even know what I was supposed to be doing for that presentation. I had never actually presented at a conference before. So I actually really? didn't know how much time I was supposed to present for. Yeah. I didn't know what I was supposed to be talking about. I didn't even know that there was going to be like five other people presenting at the same time, right? And so <laughs> nobody told me what I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> These are kind of things that they don't tell us, right? That there's kind of this un like this hidden curriculum that that it's like you got 10 minutes and you're like, what? I worked on this for a year and I got 10 minutes to like say all of these things. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's an order. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and so I remember <laughs> randomly and I, and, and, and no shade to, to Chris Salinas, but I remember asking him like, yo, what am I supposed to do? It was like eight o'clock or 10 o'clock at night. My, my presentations are like eight o'clock the next morning. And I'm like, yo, uh, what am I supposed to do? He's like, ah, you'll just, you know, you'll talk for a few minutes and people might ask you some questions. That's it. No big deal. And I'm like, that I is not it. helpful. That is not right? helpful. You know, and, and mind you, I had been working in student affairs for a minute at that point. So I, mm -hmm. I understood that there had to be more to this than that, right? Like right. I had presented workshops, I had done seminars, I had done some other things. And I'm like, there's gotta be more to this than, than you know, how he's making it out. So thankfully there was a, a grad student who was like, a, who was a research assistant for someone who was working the conference. And I was able to email them at like 1130 at night. And I was just like, I don't know if he's going to answer. I don't know if I'm going to get a response. Oh my goodness. Um, and thankfully, at around midnight, I got an answer to what I was supposed to do. And I was so relieved because I was ready to put on like a 35 minute presentation. Oh, shit. <laughs> and, and I found out that it was 12 minutes, 10 minutes, yeah. 10 minutes, 12 minutes tops. And don't worry about it. There's other people who are going to be there. So. So yeah, that that's kind of how that that that's how my experience with this came together, um, and and I just thought it was so cool that so many people were in that room at eight o'clock in the morning, um, to to like listen to this conversation that I thought was amazing, that I thought was really cool, but I didn't really think anyone else was gonna care about, right? It is so dope. It is so dope because to this day, I don't think I've seen in our conference spaces that we go to. Um, a paper or a presentation that's directly connected music to to what we do in our work right and it's it was to me it's such a hit and it, it's right on it's I think it's it's genius right and I think that's why the, the room was packed because everybody recognized real recognizes real like we saw it um and I still think it, it's it's an article that just stands out for me because it's it also makes that connection to the community that we're trying to, to reach right Absolutely. and that's the music that they listen to and like oh my gosh Joe and I have this idea we've been sitting on this idea for like three years but we really I'm gonna say it so maybe it can like actually matriculate <laughs> but we really want to have this event with you know folks in the music industry right because we that's like, what do we listen to? Music, what type of music, you know, motivational yep. music, like rap or wh whatever it is. The point is yep. like, as we are writing or as we're going through our academic journeys, now, now professional journeys, we're motivated by music. And then, so how can we make that connection with music and our students? And so it's, I, I think, I think there's something there that just hasn't kind of formulated yet. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I want to kind of go into like my, that that's a huge memory that I have meeting you at CSCC. But another memory I have at CSCC, and I, I think I've shared this with you because we share a lot of I what I love about our friendship is that we're also in a lot of professional spaces together. So yeah. we're we're like in emerging faculty spaces and and it's when we're selected for these fellowships, you don't know who's gonna be also selected. And I'm like, yes, he's there. Like I have a friend. <laughs> there's yes. there's somebody 
and we're, we're, we're literally like, I feel like climbing the ladder together. Like we're, we're paralleled in that. So um, back to the CSEC is that it was also my first time at this particular conference. And I, I'm pretty sure I've shared the story with you, but as I was, I was, I was in my presentation, I was a round table, which is a different kind of format, yep. but I was presenting on Latino men. And have I, have you, have you heard the story? I'm sure you I have. haven't. No? no. Okay. I don't think, I don't think so. Maybe okay. I have, but I don't okay. recall. So I was presenting on Latino men, uh, formerly incarcerated Latino men in California community colleges. That's my background. Mm -hmm. And there was a tip course, a white male at my table, older white male. And he was like, after I presented like all the stats of, of why this is important and why we need to pay attention to it. He's like, why are you focused on Latino men and not white men? And I'm like, did you just not hear what I just said? Like, I gave you the stats, you know? Yeah. And he basically, in a, in a roundabout way, kind of said, like, my research was trash. <laughs> and wow. that I was wasting my time on it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so I immediately remember going back to my, men like my mentor, my advisor, Dr. Vasquez. And I'm like, this is what this man says. And we looked them up and everything. She's like, no, don't listen to him. Because uh, remember, at the time, too, nobody was doing that work, right, back then. And as a doc student like that's yeah. hella you know like you're being vulnerable with your research so fast forward I don't know why I'm making this connection but to this <laughs> CSCC last year yeah. um I was asked to give the the luncheon keynote nice on my research and was the white guy there he was there he was there <laughs> and I was looking for him in the audience like I need you to see me because we just came full circle today, homie. Like nice. said my research wasn't shit, but your girl's up here doing a keynote. And so it's those little things. But part of that is like finding your own people and your own community, because yeah. I wasn't going to go back to CSCC after that comment. I didn't feel welcome. I didn't yeah. feel like my research was welcomed. And I think, thankfully, we're kind of like at a place where we can choose and decide where we're going to present our work at. And mm -hmm. kind of like, if you kind of, or feel like okay my research wasn't um accepted or welcomed in that space then I don't need to take it there yeah so but through the years that's changed right like I'm like okay the following year I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna bring more people with me you know I'm gonna bring my homies my scholar homies with me so yep. my next question for you is um what is a scholar homie to you Oh, what a fantastic question. Um, by the way, I want to make sure, uh, I know we've moved on from the, the no role models thing in CSCC, oh, yeah. but I want to make sure I shout out Dr. Kayla Elliott oh, about, yes. it was her brainchild, like that was her connection. And I think that intersected really strongly with the work that Dr. Salinas was doing with like linguistics. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to make sure I shout them out. I, I offered a lot of really great input on that, but I want to shout out the, the brainchild because I think it's important that we give credit to the folks who deserve the credit. And I think that goes into what it means to be a scholar homie, right? Yeah. Um, so I think when I think about what is a scholar homie, I think about, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm doing this research project right now on uh, Latino, uh, Latinx, Latina identifying men in uh, master's HESA prep programs, right? And so one of the questions that we asked them about their experience is what does it mean to have a community of support? Mm -hmm. And so when I think about this question of what is a scholar homie, I think about this idea of community of support. Um, for, for me, the way that, um, the way that my relationship, so the folks that I call scholar homies, I don't call everyone my scholar homie. Right. There's, there's a real special designation, right? And the way that we became scholar homies it's a very organic thing. So I think for me to call someone my scholar homie or to consider someone a scholar homie or to talk about it in that way, there has to be sort of this fundamental or organic feel to it. It can't be forced, it can't be contrived, it can't be, um, certainly there are moments where it becomes mutually beneficial because there's work or support that like to your point about how we're cl kind of climbing together and we find mm -hmm. ourselves in similar spaces, um, particularly through like EFLA and some of the other things that we're doing, right? So yeah. it's mutually beneficial in that way, but that's not the, that's not the sort of origin of the relationship. Right. It, it, it's, it's a space of like mutual need, uh, mutual vulnerability um, and, and mutual respect. Right, like um, if if we have a genuine need for other folks in our lives. Sorry, not to make this all like super, like no, like, like not to get all scholarly and shit about it, right? So, right, <laughs> but I think it's just about really um, a scholar homie is someone who's willing to accept you at face value and to um, help you grow 
and to help you be a better person and um, scholar, um, but in ways that are are loving and caring and 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 accepting. So uh, I'm really good at getting off topic. So feel free to bring me back to anything if I'm just rambling here. But uh, but I think for me that's that's what a scholar homie is. It's it's someone that's got your back and is willing to do it in a way that's genuine, respectful, and authentic. I think that has to be the foundation for any relationship that's going to turn into someone who's a scholar homie. And then ultimately, it's someone who's invested in your success, right? There's a mutual investment in, in each other's success. And we're going to be there to help each other out however we can be. In such the most authentic way too, right? Because yeah. I think, I'm thinking, okay, I'm like, who have I had on, on, the, on these episodes? So I feel like I have, you know, Joe and my writing, my, my writing little group, like that's yep. separate. And then we have like this huge scholar homies collective, like for real. Yes. Um, in IRL, as you could say, and you're, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're probably the first one that I've had on the podcast. That's like a legit scholar homie of mine. So I guess let's talk about that. Like how, how we even came about. And that also, I think was organic. I don't know. Was it on head that tweeted out like who needs space? Completely. So this, yeah. So let's, this, I guess we kind of all maybe knew who each other were, but it was definitely the pandemic that brought yes. us like together and kind of like solidified us. Yes. Um, more so. Do you want to tell me like your memories of it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, what was it? I guess we locked down March 2020. Mm -hmm. And so at that time, what was I doing? I was, was I, oh, I was prepping for my proposal defense. That's what I was doing. So I was, I was, I was prepping for my proposal defense and, um, there was a, there was a, what was it? It was a Twitter or it was a message on Twitter uh, from Anhed talking about, yo, anybody want to get down for a Loteria night, right? Um, and I was like, I don't play Loteria. I don't even play bingo really. But listen, if I have somebody that I can hang out with, I'm right. down for that. Because at that point, at that point, I was like, like the, the most community I was getting was through like a Facebook DJ, excuse me, a Facebook DJ out of Texas who was like doing this like club quarantine stuff before yes. DJ, you know, before uh, D Nice was doing club quarantine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was like, I totally need to talk to people. I, I need to do something. Yeah. And what was actually really cool about it was that it was an open invitation, not just for like um, folks who were um, in, in grad school or folks who were like new faculty, but it was actually a it was actually a, a an invitation for like family members at large. So I remember like I invited my wife, I invited my sister-in-law and my sister-in-law was in New Jersey at the time. So like we were zooming in from different places. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think what we got out of that and, and what was really cool is that we got to meet other people like folks like so yeah. so who the Scholar Homie Collective is now as a result of that. There were folks beyond that that were like family members, friends who who aren't necessarily scholar homies in that way, but it was that that community, right? It was that right. sense of community. And so I remember just thinking how cool it was to be able to connect, um, not to some, not to just some of the folks that I was vaguely familiar with in some ways, but also like their family and friends in ways that were really, really cool. So it this, this sense of community was like really legit. But but I think what what we got out of that was that um it, it was just, uh, it was a space, like it held a space. I think that was what was most important. Like we were, we were at a time and place in the pandemic where we didn't know anything. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know how long it was going to be for. And, and so even though we had like our dissertations or our graduate study or like our emerging faculty selves, scholars to like keep us busy, um, that was, that, that distraction could only keep us distracted for so long before we realized that the world was like falling apart around us. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the scholar homie space ended up, we, we didn't even do work, right? Like that was supposed to be the, that was supposed to be like the, the excuse for us to get together. Our writing so time, we, yeah. Like we the writing just, time. We would just and I'm pretty write. sure we didn't yeah. write or actually we did some writing. I mean, sometimes we, really we did, write. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we did some writing, but really it was all about talking and venting. And um, I'm a really private person, like in real life, I'm a, I'm a really private person. Um, I, you know, I'm the youngest, I'm the youngest of four, but I, I basically grew up as an only child because I'm, um, I'm so much younger than some of my siblings that they were out of the house before I was. Um, and, and then I went through a lot of like, like my teenage years and early twenties, like kind of by myself, right? Like I didn't, I didn't have an older brother. So, I mean, I had them, but I didn't go through those experiences with them. And so I was really used to 
like I was, a, I was an introvert. Um, yeah, I could, I could go to a party and have fun, but in, in naturally I'm an introvert. So I wasn't really good at talking to other people. And this was the first time in my life where I was just like, yo, I'm gonna be vulnerable. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I'm gonna be vulnerable and this is gonna suck. This is gonna suck really hard, but I'm gonna be vulnerable. And, and folks were vulnerable right back and they were amazing. Like folks like you and, and, and Angel and like, you know, uh, Angel sticks out for me a lot in a, in a lot of ways because, um, you know, he was always really good about like following up with me in, in other ways as well. Like we would text and, and that, that's not, that's not, um, that's not limited to just Angel, but he sticks out to me a lot because he's the one who kind of started this space, mm -hmm. you know, sort of centered the space yeah. and then kept everyone together in the space, right. I think. You know, when you think about sort of who the nexus of the space is, you know, I think about Angel a lot, but I, I think everyone contributed to it. But I, but I think about um, folks like you and Angel a lot when I think about the Scholar Homie space, because um, particularly you and I were like in, in almost an identical spot in terms of where we were and what we were trying to get done. But, but I just think it was, um, I would say, I think even my, my wife talks about that time a lot because she realized how good it was for me to have that space. Cause literally the only other thing I was doing was dissertating, right? right? I was, I was running, I was running, uh, I was, I was doing my data collection over that summer and then I was analyzing and anyone who knows about data collection and analysis knows that it's like one of the most miserable times in your life because, <laughs> you know, having conversations with folks your about your, you know, interviewing folks is amazing initially, mm -hmm. but then eventually you're just like, oh, it's kind of like a slog after a while. Yeah. And then, and then you got to be like, oh, I still got to analyze this. And there's a lot of information. You know, I got like 2000 minutes of audio here to listen to. Yeah. What am I going to do with it? Um, but that space always was like a happy place for me, a place where I didn't have to think about any of that other stuff. And I could just be me, like be goofy, like not comb my... I didn't, you know, folks don't realize this, but I didn't actually comb my hair all that much when we were like in our uh, session. Right? I don't think a lot of people did. You know, but, but like I wouldn't do that with anybody. Else. No, I would you totally talk about not vulnerability. You talk about vulnerability. Like, <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, th those were like the, we were deep in the pandemic like that. We didn't know. Um, and I think I, I'm the only mother of the group, mm. if I'm not mistaken. And so when we talk about vulnerable, like y'all, got me through some days because mm -hmm. remember it was like social dis like social distance learning with Melania for two years yeah and that shit was so rough like y'all I mean honestly like y'all saw me through my worst days it was it was hard um and even though I don't know maybe it was like 30 minutes an hour and there was chaos but it was like this online community that just connected me to like people I could resonate with right um and even though I may have been the only mother of the group. Y'all also just always held space for me and Melania, right? Like, and it's, it's you also know it's like a two for one deal. Like you get me, yeah. but you also get my kid. <laughs> yes. And you hold space for that. And so that's, um, that's and she's, I, I feel like everybody knows, everybody asked about her. Like it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing because she was always in the, in the group, always in the mix. Like she was literally like my sidekick. Um, so yeah, when you talk about vulnerability, it was, those were, those were very vulnerable times. You know, I, I tell you what, and, and you talking about Melania, right? It makes me think about like how intergenerational this whole experience was. It, like I, I had never thought about it that way before, but it's like, I think, I think there's something really cool to be said about that. Like how open that space was and who was, who was able to be in it and, and how they were able to be in it. I think it also, you know, we just got, I mean, you know, we, we wrote about it eventually, right? But it got, we, we got rid of a lot of rules in that space. We I think did. there was there was something really important about that that we just throw out a bunch of rules. Um, I think it's rules that we didn't believe in necessarily, right? Like but thinking that were put about, on us. Yeah, right. Like so, so we were in this academic space where mm -hmm. we were, um, you know, where we were sort of pressured to act and 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 be a certain way. And we got, I don't know, maybe maybe for some folks, certainly for myself, it was one of the first times I got a chance to just like throw the rules out the window and be like nah, we don't need to follow those rules and, and, and we can just do whatever we want, however we want, as long as we feel like something positive came out of this at the end of the day. And I think, I think thinking about, you know, uh, oh, your daughter was there all the time was literally one of those biggest rules that we just threw out the window and said, no, there's, there's space for this young person and they're going to, maybe they'll learn something from us or maybe they'll just feel better about connecting with other folks in ways that they might not otherwise have done if, if, they weren't invited into this space so yeah I think what what stands out for me to that and in introducing her to a lot of like she'll call it my work friends mm -hmm. is that I, in 
in her young age of going through elementary, you know, like you're dealing with bullies and, and mm. kids that are mean and things like that. And I'm trying to be like, those people don't matter, right? Like, but there's a whole community of people who cheer you on every mm-hmm. day, right? And so mm-hmm. I, I always, I'm so glad I always try to reframe it because so you've seen like, we've both moved like kind of like across the country during the yeah. pandemic. Um, and this is, this is not even like a formal question, but just something that I related to I relate with you too, because I tend to post, I don't think my whole life, I'll post half of my life online, <laughs> but I was very um, open about the move that we did from California to Texas. Like I documented a lot of it. We lived in a hotel. We mm-hmm. lived in an Airbnb for the last year, um, for a year. And then we went into conference season. And so this is in a space where I remember sharing, like having to unpack your luggage because you're mm-hmm. living in luggages having to unpack that so you could pack for a conference and then like where do you put your space and I shared the story with Gabe probably like not that long ago because I'm like oh my gosh like last little like he could relate like if, if you've done that before like and yes. when you said that I was like oh my god I feel so seen because I thought I was literally like <laughs> the only person living out of a suitcase and you're yes. like no, no, me too <laughs> Yo, so so real talk, real vulnerability. Like when I when 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 we left Florida to come back home to Rhode Island uh, for my for my job at, at URI, um, you know, uh, the, the we hadn't st- we still hadn't quite opened back up yet, right? Like we were right. still sort of locked down a little bit. But <clears throat> um, as folks might remember, like particularly during the the height of the pandemic, and so so certainly we're still you know, we're still, you know, dealing with an endemic situation at large, but when we think about sort of what we might consider the height of the pandemic, you know, rental markets were wild, like housing markets were wild, right? So I remember thinking to myself, yo, my contract starts um, September 2nd, and I've been looking at like Craigslist, like, you know, uh, what else was I looking at? I can't even think of all the places that I could find potential rental properties or houses on. Um, I, don't, yeah, I don't mean to shout out Craigslist, but I don't know why it's the first thing that came to my mind. But that tells you how desperate it was that I was looking at Craigslist yes. too to see if I could find a place to stay, right? And it was just one of those things where it was like, yo, I need a place to stay. You know, my um, we hadn't even moved the house yet. My wife wasn't going to come until like December and until we were like really settled in. And so I remember I ended up crashing on my mom's couch for like two yeah. months, right? And and yeah. because because everything was so wild. But I remember I had I had this really, really big like bulto, this like huge like bag where I had all my stuff in it. And then I had this like uh I was literally living out of that for like two months. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember Ash came out came around and I was like, oh shit. I was like <laughs> I need a bag for the conference. What am I supposed to use? And so I had to unpack my luggage so that I could repack it for the trip. And I remember putting all my stuff into these like big um, garbage bags and leaving them like in my mom's room. And it was wild. So like, yes, this this notion of like moving halfway halfway across the country, figuring out how to live, not not being, you know, settled quite yet and figuring out how to like still do all the stuff you were doing as if you're like you had a, you know, a, a, a solid living situation and all that good stuff absolutely as if nothing I'm like people really have no idea the logistics and like the behind the scenes and here's the thing is that like as new faculty we've moved across the country maybe like for you or in your case your wife was still in Florida like so yeah. you're starting the semester you're starting the semester and your students let's just say may expect you just to show the fuck up Right. They mm-hmm. don't even know that you don't got a house, you don't got a living situation, that you're living out of a suitcase. <laughs> but they, they kind of expect this like expert to kind of like come up and it's and that too, right? So it, it actually was my days. Yeah, yesterday I was meeting with um my master students for the first time. Semester just started. And I was like, look, I give y'all grace, you give me grace. Like that, that's we're gonna yeah. give each other grace. And because they go, what are the expectations? I'm like, the expectations that we're human right yeah. and I didn't say this in class but essentially we're gonna fuck up and that's okay yep and it's 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 fine you know we'll, we'll go we'll go through these social norms of that I have to grade your assignments and whatnot but the point is like did you critically think through the assignment that's all that they care yeah. about yeah. um but I, I, they're probably they're not used to be down here either because they're like this is not what we expect I'm like I know it's <laughs> I, I break all the rules or you know I just it's it's I want to just make sure that you know you're connecting the theory to practice and whatnot but yep. 
Um, where do we go from here? I guess, tell me about your positionality and how it informs your work. Oh, what a fantastic question. Um, well, I, I want to say be, before we move on to that question, I want to say that my, my <laughs> students definitely offered me some grace. Like okay. they, they didn't know all the particulars of what was yeah, going yeah. on, but they knew I was moving my household and, and they gave me, you know, my, my, my evaluation is that semester had some interesting feedback, you know, given, given what was going on in my life. But I will say, I will say they were very, it, it was one of those things where it was like, well, we know he, we know he's moving, but, and so I just want to say they were really good about that. Um, but yeah, they absolutely did not know like all the stuff that was going on. Oh no. Yeah. I mean, I lit, I moved in four Airbnbs in one year. Like my, that thought my students didn't know, like they, they knew like I wasn't probably settled my yeah. chair didn't even know, honestly. And there was probably one week where I, I had told my chair, like, I, we were like switching Airbnbs that day. And I'm like, um, can we meet tomorrow? <laughs> I'm a little, you know, yeah. I had probably something going on, but, but I don't think they even understood the detail of that. Um, really just being displaced. And I think this is a larger issue of the, when it comes to recruitment. And I've been, I don't want to say critical, but I've been providing my institution feedback. Like y'all are recruiting faculty from out of the space. And when you recruit us in, there's nowhere for us to live, mm -hmm. <laughs> like just straight up, especially mm -hmm. in a space like here where there's not, there's no rentals or it's, it's it was yeah. very hard to find spaces. Um, and then also just even thinking of who you're hiring, right? Like traditionally yeah. you're hiring a single person yeah. right so we can yeah. we're gonna house you um yeah. but for someone like me who I have an intergenerational household like well what about yeah. my family like I'm I have like you have me plus four other people yep. so it's, it's different and then in your case too like you have you and your spouse like our universities taking a look at when they're hiring faculty um <laughs> can they can they bring their families or like you know how how, do, how does that work and where where do they get housed temporarily and I, I, that's it's like a whole nother issue. That's right? real. That's seriously real. Yeah. But we're here trying to make that's that like we're we're trying. Well, well now I know, but I mean, you know, whatever whatever my future holds for me, you know, whatever our future holds for us, at least we know questions to ask or to think about, you know, because you just there's certain assumptions you make, like, of course right. there's gonna be a place to live, or of course something is gonna work out like it just makes sense right right um, and 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 that's what you don't realize that like you know we lived in we had lived in Florida for 10 years before moving you know and and it was like I just assumed I just assumed there would be things like in Florida when I went back home to Rhode Island and it just wasn't the case but now I know better well I think the, the huge difference I think the advice too was like do you know um well first off we were hired during the pandemic Mm -hmm. So I want to say we were both hired on Zoom, right? Like we didn't do an, a yeah. traditional on-campus interview. Yeah. Our, my, our my job talk, talk, my on-campus, everything, on everything was Zoom, so, yeah. Same, the same. So in that in that context, we didn't get to fly out to see the campus or the yeah. space. Yeah. Um, I did try, I actually did negotiate it, but I, I didn't make the, the, I didn't get a chance to make it because again, we were in California and we were completely locked down at that yeah. time. Um, but I would think that, I think that's my biggest advice is to always take that trip like if they offer you yeah. um a move out trip like a, a trip to just to go and like kind of get situated or try to find out where you're gonna live like always take it I yeah that would have made the biggest difference for us and I, I think saved me like a year of headache yeah no I agree I will say I will say I'm thankful that they offered me the same thing yeah. um and and for whatever reason and I don't I don't recall why at this time I wasn't able I think I know what the reason was because I'm originally from Rhode Island and I've been gone for 15 years and I think I just assumed everything was the same yeah and so, it wasn't and no. I would have benefited from taking that trip out to really understand the same the same because I I lived in other parts of Texas but not South Texas which is completely different from the rest yeah. part of the state and yeah. it it, it would have um I, I agree. It would have benefited me to come out. And I just, and my, my deals were like, you yeah. should go. And I'm like, I think it's fine. Yeah. And, and I will say this in all honesty, I think at that time I was still broke, right? Like I was, I had just, I, <laughs> I graduated in April, you know, I defended yeah. in February, graduated in April. And uh, I had been working as a, you know, I had been working as a grad assistant essentially, yeah. you know, for two and a half years. And that was my primary source of income. And Thank, thank baby Jesus that my, my wife had a fantastic full-time job and she's an amazing professional, but like, I was still kind of poor too. And I was just like, okay, well, 
you know, I got to come out of pocket for this. They'll reimburse me at some point, but then I still got to figure out how to like spend money while I'm there. And, and yeah, I got some family and friends there, but like, this isn't going to be a cheap, a cheap trip. And so like, do I just keep helping pay the bills or do I go, do I go to this place? Yeah. So I, mean, I, I gotta admit that was a real part of it too, where I was just like financially, like I wasn't in a place to just be dropping, no. you know, some money on a trip like that, even though it would have benefited me long-term. That makes a good point because the same and I, I want to say like even the logistics like when you're negotiating they're gonna I think for the most part will negotiate you to move right yeah, um, yeah but how much the reimbursements vary and so my re my move so what I'm what I'm saying is when you're moving cross-country when you're moving wherever typically universities will be like okay we're gonna give you this amount of money to move your yeah. belongings right yep I will tell you mine was fifteen hundred dollars to move wow. from California to Texas um you know how much it cost us way 10, more than 000. that it cost yes. us over $10,000 to move. So if you see me on my stories and I joke about those blankets, those moving blankets, because those <laughs> things cost so freaking much. I was like, I'm saving these for life. Ah, so whenever Texas freezes over, I'm going to go to the storage, grab those moving blankets. blankets. Yeah, and then we'll be fine. But so, yeah, they, they didn't come out of pocket for that. Um, and they they, acknowledge, they they did say, like, we acknowledge, like, this is, that's, this is from, like, the state budget, right? That, yeah. Because they, again, assume that the people that they're recruiting are local. Yeah. It's just all these assumptions that they have. And then it's like, okay, well, how do you move your family across country? Thankfully, our case was different. We sold a house in California, which is mm. like hitting the lotto. So, you know, financially, <laughs> we're fine. But that is a big hit, right? You're like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm also making the sacrifices as well. But yeah, um, tell me about your positionality. Yeah. Um, let's see. You know, it's funny. I'm like resisting. I'm resisting the temptation to go look at my, like, I, like my, like no, my no. formal positionality, right? No, um, I, I want the platico on. Like, yeah, 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 we're, yeah, yeah. pretend we're at Roberto's. We're we're in like Las Vegas. We're we're you know just platica. Like, just give it to me. Yeah. So I think. Um. So I think about. I think about what I shared. There's a combination of things, or a few different things that I think about when I think about my positionality. So I kind of think about some of the things that I, I shared in my teaching statement, I, and I think about some of the things that I shared in in my dissertation as well. But uh, in, in 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 sort of talking about that in 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 informal ways, and you know, if we're in the middle of Platica right now, you know, I, I describe myself as a you know as a first gen, uh, first time in college, low SES Puerto Rican kid from Providence's West End. Um, I, I was always a smart kid, right? I was always one of those smart kids. Um, but I think, my, you know, my, my, my family knew that was important. Like many, you know, Latino, Latinx identifying families, they recognize that being smart and doing well in school is important, but they often don't know how to maybe um, support that, right? Um, so for me, uh, I, I think it was a combination of where I'm, you know, my positionality really centers on getting really lucky with certain educational opportunities and then having really good mentors in my life, right? Or folks who are looking out for me. Um, you know, I, I I got lucky that I ended up, or may, I, maybe I got lucky, I don't know. I was, I was a smart kid, but it was a combination of luck and smarts where, you know, I was able to get into a college prep high school, which really prepared me well for, you know, the vigors of college. Um, I still messed up college in a number of ways because I wasn't prepared socially or personally for what mm -hmm. that meant. But academically, I was dope. I could write a paper. Um, but I think there were some really amazing folks in my life that were really good stewards of my educational success. Um, but from a positionality standpoint, I think I'm, I'm like a lot of I'm like a lot of those folks that we talk about in our research, right? Those those marginalized, you know, kids that come from places that are marginalized. And, and I think that's um, that's sort of where I start my story. Um, but my positionality is really also informed by my um, my adjacency or my um, sort of closeness to the carcero um, system, to the uh, to the carcero system. You know, uh, growing up, um, by the age of maybe ten or eleven, my pops had been um, um, put in jail several times. He was in jail three different times. And had been arrested multiple times. Um, you know, and and so. There were some things about growing up in that way, um, sort of visiting prisons and, and playing with other little kids on playgrounds within the prison, that there were certain things in my life that were normalized in some, some ways that are very different 
from other folks that I grew up with or that I that I went to school with, folks who completely don't understand what it means to have your house raided at five o'clock in the morning um, to see your dad uh, taken taken away in handcuffs and then visiting in, in prison multiple times. Um, and I think there's something, I think, um, you start thinking about how life is challenging or difficult in, in different ways, I guess, or or you think you start thinking about problems in different ways, right? So I, I think uh, growing up, I didn't think about problems in the same way that other people thought about problems. Like I thought about real problems versus like, like first world problems versus like third world problems or like real problems versus not real problems. So I think that that had a lot of impact in my life. I think like many other um, men who, or individuals who identify as, as Latino men, um, there was a, a great sense of toxic masculinity that informed uh, my development and my growth. You know, um, I learned things like uh, uh, aggression and homophobia and transphobia and like emotional restrictedness, right? Um, lots of things that I had to unlearn later in my life. So my positionality really comes from a place of learn learning how to live in a certain space and environment. Um, but then having the capacity through educational opportunities and the steward and the and the and like the, the good mentorship of others to then grow into many of the privileges that I have now. And so I'm I'm not that that broke Puerto Rican kid from the West End anymore who um was like super close to sort of living, you know, a, a life of of being in gangs and, and and criminal activity and stuff like that. Now I'm this like middle-aged white Latino identifying guy who's middle-class and has a shit ton of formal education and is probably far more privileged than lots of other folks um, in this country and the world in a lot of ways. So it's like a, it's like a tale of two cities and, and part of me recognizing who I am today is understanding that I can't live in the, in the space of who I was before. While it still informs who I am now, it's not who I, who I am anymore. And for me to to keep claiming that kid is is um, is unfair to the work that I do now. Um, it 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 informs a sense of bias that just uh, messes up my perspective on all the work that I'm trying to do um, today. So I don't know if that's a fantastic overview of my positionality, but that's kind of what comes to me now as we're having this conversation. Thank you for sharing, and I I really resonate with this tell of two cities because I think I'm also in that space, right? Like I recognize what I've gone through to get here. However, I'm no longer there anymore, right? And so it's almost like this different identity. Like it's it's yeah. you, but um, that's like my 15 year old self, right? Like yeah. yesterday, I was working out in the, the backyard, like looking at my pool. And to even say like, I have a house that has a pool is like mind blowing to me, right? Like, yeah. and sometimes I feel like, and I think that's probably, you know, the, like the unlearning we have to do. Like, I don't even think that this, like that this, what I have physically is mine, right? It's like, yeah. someone's going to come and snatch it from me any moment because it can't be true. Um, but I, I thank you for sharing about how your positionality and growing up you know, and I think you're right. It does provide a different lens and changes your view on things, um, which is, uh, it's almost like we went through that, but now that we, we have a different lens that I think is, is so much like, we're like, we're, we're literally transformational change agents because yes. we can view the world in such a different way, I think, yes. to make it better. Um, oh, actually, to, to that point, um, I was going to mention because of the way I grew up and because of who I am now. I'm 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 morally ambiguous in some really interesting ways, right? Like I'm genuinely a good person. Like I'm 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 pretty law abiding. Like um I don't I'm I'm all about like <clears throat> what does it mean to be a good citizen and, and taking care of your fellow man, right? Like I'm all about like like I'm I'm on the light side of the force, right? Like I'm I want to be a Jedi. I don't want to be a Sith Lord or anything like that. Like I want to be that good guy. Yeah. But when it comes to like decision making, particularly within systems of oppression and privilege, and what it means for me to make choices that benefit from a sense of moral ambiguity or a grayer understanding of the realities of life and how that might inform a student's lived experiences and, and what opportunities they should have. I think that how I grew up and what and how that led to my positionality today and the opportunities I have to, to serve others, particularly younger folks who are emerging scholars or folks who are like in their undergraduate experience or who are trying to get into like graduate programs, right? Because I'm, I'm a program coordinator now for a master's mm -hmm. program. I get to really look at their experiences in ways 
that aren't black and white, right? That aren't right. gonna, it doesn't mean that ethically I'm gonna, um, that I'm gonna compromise myself and make decisions that I shouldn't make, right? I'm always gonna make good ethical choices, but mm-hmm. I think I have a capacity to have a conversation with myself about like how have systems of oppression and privilege Absolutely. made it such that this isn't an ethical decision when in reality, when I understand that actually it's unethical for me, it's unethical for me to make that decision through that lens because I know better. Right, right, yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm not even gonna try to re-say that because you said it so perfectly <laughs> and eloquently, but you mentioned something about toxic masculinity. Yes. And if I can, can I share our story in San Diego? Yes, please do. Because- Yeah, I was just looking at that the note the other day. Time. Were you? Yeah. It was the first time that I, um. I kind of got an apology, right? And and I didn't I, I didn't need it, but but it's it's it, it stands out. So if I can give some context, please. We okay, so the scholar homies, you know, we're back in in real life. Every time we meet up at a conference space, we always try to have a dinner together. Okay. And so this and this one night in San Diego, we were there for a con- ARA. Um, yeah, we I think this, okay, and this was Last probably year. the second dinner yeah so yeah. we were ha- but at this so typically yeah, we so bougie we had multiple dinners yeah I, I won't say who pays for them but our deal <laughs> pays for them yes you know what <laughs> we'll just we'll just leave it at that um <laughs> but I'll say that at this particular dinner it was the second the second scholar homies dinner we had let's just say we had company we yes. had uh, we had guests who um uh, were were worked at different foundations or whatnot yep. so we're basically introducing ourselves talking about our research we're yep. on right like quote unquote on like I I would say we have we have guests in the house all right? we did we did and so we should go accordingly we should act accordingly last I don't know I'm kidding <laughs> but there, there was there was <laughs> there was a, I don't know if you want to call it a dig or there was just a comment it was intended to it was intended to be a playful comment. It, it was, it was, it was, it was, intent, it was a dig. It was absolutely okay. a dig, but it was meant to be like a playful dig, right? Okay, but tell me your version because mine would be like, you said my research wasn't shit, but I know you didn't say that. Well, that's <laughs> kind of what I said, but I was like messing with you when I said okay, it. Because, okay. So, you know, I, I didn't say your research wasn't shit, right? No, no, no. You said, yeah. um, yo, I, I have, I still have the text messages. That's the funny part. Oh, and do I, you? Yeah, I, I really do. But it was like, you said something like you're, uh, you you claim you said your research was uh was like seminal and foundational, oh, and I yeah, yeah. and I made the joke that I'm like yo how can your work be seminal and foundational when no one else has written about it? It really when you think about it, it's just exploratory. <laughs> and it, and I was making like that's a right, dorky right. nerd joke out of it, but then it was like really fucked up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I'm like yeah, no. So then, and then I you did, restated I, your position, and I doubled down on it. Because I felt like because we were in front of company, in front of guests, I needed, and these were, these were like, they had positionalities at, at really high name foundations. Yes. And because of their positionalities, I was like, oh no, like y'all need to leave this table knowing that my research is foundational in this area and like put some respect on my name. Yes. And so when you eat your dessert, that's all I need you to know. Yes. (laughs) And so then we it was like ha 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 I don't I don't think they picked up on it it was they totally didn't you and I was zoned into each other we totally were it was between you and me (laughs) so then after that we ended up you know we ended up leaving the comp the company left but the the scholar homies continued on we went you know to other we went bar hopping I guess you could say yeah we went bar hopping yeah we met we went went to like a couple places and then we ended up at the last one and at the last one, we met up with other, you know, other folks. And part of who was there was um, my my mentor, femtor advisee, um, Dr. Vesquez. Yes. And I was like, someone, someone who I know and respect and admire and yes. think is awesome. Yes. Yes. And so I was like, Dr. V, guess what? I was like, I like pointed it. I like called him out in the middle of like there was I don't know a bunch of. It was people. like six of us, seven of us, uh-huh. everyone like, working in higher ed, and yeah. Yeah, I was like. Dr. Camacho, you need to apologize to Dr. V right now because you said my research wasn't shit and she kind of co-signs me. And so you by you disrespecting me, you disrespecting her. And she was like, and she was like, what? He said, what? And she was like, oh no, you need to apologize. <laughs> but Yo. it was a joke. We were joking. Um, and then me being like the funny person that I am, I ca- I think I caught you off guard. 
with I I threw I picked up my phone and I I started recording on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, it was on it was on IG. We started yeah. doing IG live. Yeah, I started doing IG and I was like, hey, um, I need an apology and you need to like you need to be like give me an apology, you know, on ID. And you did, and it was you know we were joking and it was fine. And then at the end of the night, um, oh my God, what two in the morning? I'm at getting least. back to my hotel. And I get this dissertation of an apology text message. And in that apology, you mentioned toxic masculinity. Yeah. And I was like, wow. I and honestly, I, I thought when we had left the dinner that last last that last space that um that it was done. Like you, I, I accepted your apology. Like we were totally cool. I wasn't expecting like a text, a formal apology. And I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, no, he doesn't, it's he. I hope he knows like we are totally fine. Um, but tell me like, I guess your thoughts of, of why you felt you needed to, to explain more. Yeah. Um, and I'm reading it too, hold on, let's see. That's funny, I'm, I'm like, it's, you know, and I, I drafted this note before I sent it to you in a text message. So I like, I have the note of it and I have the text message too. Um, I think this part, this part is gonna read out. I've been socialized to show affection in toxic ways. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's yes. deep. Yeah, I'll I tell you what, um, yeah, yeah. So in my household growing up, um, so having a sense of humor was really important in my household, um, but it was like a biting sense of humor. It was like, a, like, um, like in order for you to like sort of stand up for yourself, you had to be really good at making fun of other people, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, shout out to my brother, Peter, who I love to death, but was a jerk when we were kids growing up. He was really good at like making me feel like crap through jokes. So I had to learn really quickly to like be able to come back. And then my dad was the same way, you know, may he rest in peace. Yo, he would, he would just talk shit about people all day. And, and it was hilarious, right? And I remember um, being in college and like, you know, my fraternity brothers and other people just thought my capacity to like, annihilate people through like messed up humor was like the highest quality that one could have right mm -hmm. and I don't think it was until that moment so so I'm, I'm much older now than I was when I was you know in my young early 20s you know I'm 20 years removed from that um but over over uh, over that sort of 20 year period um had had started kind of questioning my interactions with people through my sense of humor and it wasn't, I think, until that moment with you that I realized that sometimes funny shit isn't funny, right? Like, <laughs> like yes, it's funny because you've made a play on, on words, right? Yeah. But when you think about what it means to the other person, especially like when you care about them and value them and think they're important and you've now hurt their feelings in a way that's like, like significant, it's really not funny anymore, right? And so that 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 socialization through toxic masculinity said that for me to cut someone else down was for was a, a something that I, a skill I had to hone to be able to to grow, to to be bigger, to to have a leg up, right? So to cut someone else down was one one skill in my repertoire that would allow me to uh, to be a leg up on others or to to grow. Uh, to have more opportunities, right? So if I shit on you, then I look better and I can and I can grow. But I was just like, yo, I just did to Melissa, like the thing that I tell other young men they shouldn't be doing, that I tell other people they shouldn't be doing, all because I thought that shit was funny. Yeah, and so that's that's really what it came from. And it was that I'll be honest with you, it was that moment in my life where like it was crystallized for me that I wanted to be somebody different. Right. Like I had I had been negotiating my masculinity. So so my whole dissertation process was about me, you know, while I was while I was helping others um, dissect other men dissect their sense of masculine gender identity. Mm -hmm. It was also a journey for me. And it wasn't until that moment with you, which was what last year was 2022. So it was maybe like a year removed, a year mm -hmm. post dissertation defense and graduation. where It was finally crystallized in me that I thought I had done a bunch of work, but I had so much more work to do. And I'm thankful we had that opportunity, despite how fucked up it was. And I'm and I'm thankful that you that you I'm so thankful that you accepted my apology and that we can still be friends. But it was it was in that moment that, that it really was crystallized for me that that yo, 
socialization, which is at the center of a lot of the research, to my work that I do, socialization and deconstructing socialization is like an ongoing process. And I had so much more work to do. And, and I'm, I'm thankful in many ways that we had that interaction because it helped me grow as a person. I'm just, I just find it super unfortunate that I had to, to do that to you for that to happen. But I appreciate your willingness to work with me, even though like that shouldn't have been your emotional labor to have to do. I, um, I really, I'm like, I don't know how to explain this. I'm so glad that we're at a place where we could talk about it, right? To openly, yeah. because it happens a lot yeah. to Latino women, or to, you know, women and, and marginalized folks. But I think um, it was really important. And I think, I don't even know what to say or how to say it, but like, as a Latina woman and as a mother moving through academia and faculty life, it is really important that I, that folks just kind of hold the door open for me, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, or uplift, right? And so when I think you were able to reflect and say like, no, this was fucked up and, um, and I'm truly sorry for it. I was like, I would have, I kind of never, that happens to us a lot, but we never get the apology for it. Yeah. Or even the acknowledgement that this happened, right? Um, it's, it's usually a non-acknowledgement. And there's, there's a few Latino, there's, there's a few of us in, in the field, but there's even fewer who mm -hmm. will make the acknowledgement and really like, um, really uplift us, right? And I think that's what's important. Like, I, I don't know if it speaks to everybody, but like, I've said it a few times, like this, this journey is hard, right? Mm -hmm. as, as a Latina, as a mother. Um, and so when we can be uplifted in just the smallest ways, like through our work, like, like, yeah, your work is dope. And like by citing, right? Like cite us, like share our work, share our resources, like put us yeah. on, like that really means, really makes the difference because yeah. we are so silenced or, yeah. um, and I think that's why typically, you know, <clears throat> I, I, I joke around a lot. I'm an introvert too. I joke around on social media because I pretend I'm talking to nobody. <laughs> like I don't have like all of these people following me, but it's different to, to uplift my research, right? Mm. Like that's, that's your work and that's mm. different. And so, especially when I'm doing work that, um, that nobody else was doing a few years ago, yeah. I, I, I have to claim it. And so it yeah. was in that moment where I was like, I think he's taking a dig at me, which is fine, but not my research, like not my work, because it wasn't just about me. It's like, I'm representing a community that is yeah. already so marginalized and you're not going to shit on it. Yeah. Um, but I, and so to, to follow, to kind of like remedy that it was super late. And I think the first thing in the, I, I did respond like probably at two in the morning, but then in the immediately next, the next morning, I was like, you know what, what time do you leave? Because I need you to know that we're perfectly fine before you fly out of San Diego. Because I had been taking a lot of the, my scholar homies to my favorite taco shop. And yeah. I was like, we need to go to my favorite taco shop because we just need to like, you need to have the, the one, you need to have some real, like real Mexican food while you're in San Diego. And two, I need you to not leave on the plane without knowing like we are, we are solid. Um, yeah. And so I'm glad you took me up on that offer too. We went, we had some amazing real tacos. And we sure did. I think Yo, you that burrito, ridiculous. Yeah. Yes. So good. Yo, and, and, and I, and I'm, and I'm so thankful you did that because I, uh, you know, I, I, um, I, I overanalyze everything, right? I'll overanalyze everything in my life. And, and I'm sure lots of other scholars are like this, right? Because yeah, it's part it's, of what makes us good what at what we do, we do right? Yeah. Um, but I would have totally overanalyzed that situation for the next 17 months, like, no. had we not had that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, and, and I'm really thankful I had amazing food to eat before I left, but I'm really glad we got to hang out because um, I really did feel like we, we were cool after that. So I appreciate that. Good. And I, I, I think too, I was like, I... I cannot have you get on the plane. I won't see you for who knows, again, it's like yeah. several months later in, in real life. And I was like, I just, and then not that like, oh, I'm going to see him in these other spaces that we're in professionally, but it was just like, no, I need you to know, like as a friend, like we're totally fine. And I, and it, it was more of a like, honestly, like even like, thank you for the, just acknowledgement and just yeah. that kind of like, that's the unlearning that we have, that we're still doing. And that yeah. if we um, can't have these honest conversations with each other, then how do we even grow and learn? From, absolutely from that, right especially with the, it's the work that we're doing 
And and to take to take that sentiment back to the question you asked me, maybe at the midway through the conversation or at the top of the conversation, you know, what is a scholar homie, right? Mm -hmm. I think that like that that learning that that space to learn, that space to unlearn, um, is is very much a part of what's been so um, amazing for me in this space. Like like the scholar homies have taught me so much. Yeah. Right. You know, we have so many different intersecting identities in 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 perspectives in our group of folks, right? That um I <laughs> folks have given me like good, like tough love, soft love, <laughs> like like you know, but have helped me really learn and grow. And I, and I <clears throat> excuse me, and I think that's a big part of it that it, it really became a, a space to grow, like someone who's authentically invested in my growth as a person. And I and I think that's something that is, is highlighted by by this interaction that we're having now in relationship to that interaction that we had previously where like I'm able to grow as a person um you're willing to do that for me and then hopefully ideally we continue to help each other grow in a different in different ways as, as scholar homies moving forward yeah and it's definitely just providing that that space of vulnerability too right yeah, yeah. Um, which is I think is different from maybe other generations of scholars like they I feel like I've maybe done things like I sense from a like individual individual space and we're definitely more of a collective oh my gosh which reminds me of a like the scholar homies collective which is a joke but do you remember at NASPA when we were winning yeah we, we that this was last year at NASPA the we just like a lot of the scholar homies happened to have won just random awards I like there random, were like 10 of us there were like yeah. 10 of us that won an award it was amazing it was amazing because we it was like really we're rooting for each other so hard and uplifting and i've said this before um again like if we're on the market together or we're, we're you know let's be real like sometimes we're in competition with each other right like the, yeah. there's not there's not many um awards or positions available and, and it's it's us against each other yes. but again if i don't get it i want you to get it but it, if we were in this space where all of us happen to have gotten like these just great acknowledgments yes um and you know what? It was, I think, again, I went on my Instagram and you were like, the Scholar Homies Collective LLC and people <laughs> really were responding to me. Yo, they went to the website, www.scholarhomies.com. They, they did. And they were like, what, you know, how can I join? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, we were we were totally just joking. Like yes. We were just having fun with it. But yes. it, I think it's, it's, it's also like, we're not gatekeeping. It was just like, and I think that goes back to it, right? Of, of us not gatekeeping information, us, you know, trying to figure it out and learning, being vulnerable um, yeah. and literally just helping reach back and making sure that we all make it through, right? So like we're early, you know, early faculty and, you know, we still got a long ways to go, I'll just say, right? Like I, yeah. I think folks look at us like we made it and I don't know about y'all, but like <laughs> no. me, like I, I still got a lot, I, I I haven't made it yet. Like I'm still- So much more I'm to still go. still trying to make it. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's kind of, um. but as we're progressing, I could, you know, cause we, we've had, we have made, like you said, with the tell of two cities, like we, we have made some strides. Um, it's still about like reaching back as we're yeah. still going forward. Yeah. Lift, lift as I rise, lift as Definitely. we rise here. Yeah. Definitely. I've lost track of time. Oh my gosh. I don't want to take up all of your day because the semester's officially started. So I'm, I'm pretty sure like you have stuff to do. So let's- My, my classes um, class start next Tuesday. I definitely have lots oh, of stuff okay. to finish. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> let's, um, let's get into the this or that portion of the podcast where you pick one or the other and it's <laughs> okay. kind of random, <laughs> but okay. I, I think it's kind of, I think it's funny. <laughs> so- um, Bring the light back on. Okay. So- Student affairs or academic affairs? Academic affairs. Okay. NASPA or AERA? Ooh, NASPA. Okay. Rap or freestyle music? Oh my gosh. Can I just like take a shot? Jeez, can this be like drink champs where I take a shot if I can't yes, pick one? Yes, yes. <laughs> Definitely take a shot. Go get a, go get a, a bottle of a shot of Tito's right now. <laughs> I, I can't pick. I can't. Okay. Okay. He, he's taking a, a, it, a it, it depends. It depends. Right. The, okay, like yeah. both, both are so intricately linked to who I am fundamentally. Okay. Okay. He just took a shot of water. No. <laughs> okay. Tupac or Biggie? Biggie. Okay. Nipsey or J. Cole? J. Cole. Nice. Any last words for the folks listening? 
get yourself a scholar homie like I got scholar homies and you'll be chilling for the rest of your life there you go and I lied I have one more question because I think it's a good one yeah what advice do you have for families to help support and cultivate the future scholars in their family yeah um be proactive in your be proactive in your capacity to um be educated on the fundamentals of educational pathways at large um I think a lot of the research that we do um, in terms of the recommendations that we make, whether it's research that's centered in the work you do, I do, or how that all intersects in, in a variety of ways, you know, we talk about the importance of involving families early and often, right? And I think if if families um, can, can bring themselves to a place where they're actively seeking um, resources or stakeholders or folks, that can help put them on the right path towards understanding how educational pathways work, particularly um, at the post-secondary and tertiary level and how that connects to the work that's happening in, in the K through 12 pipeline. Then I think mm -hmm. I think that's that's what they can do. They're a, a fundamental understanding of the experiences that their children um, or their loved ones are having as they look to negotiate and navigate um, that educational pathway is, is one of the most impactful things that they can do to help um, ensure a long-term success through like retention and completion. Beautifully said. Dr. Camacho, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. And thank you for, for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. This was fantastic. Thank you. Of course.